uh, to not be around them, right? So, so on the one end, um, uh, his brothers have mistreated him and sent him off. And there's, there's certain peace with the fact that he thinks he will never have to confront his wounded past ever again. You remember how we ended last week? Joseph has two kids. One of them is named Fruitful. The other one is, is named Forgetful. Now, I don't want to be called the kid forgetful, right? That's, that's probably not a compliment. However, in the story of Joseph, what he's saying is, God's brought me to a point of healing that I've been able to forget that. Now, in saying he's forgotten and he's declaring to you, he still remembers. But, but to be able to say, this no longer defines me. And that's a hard place to come from when we, we have to address our past. That what happened to me in my home or with my parents or with my siblings, the story of Joseph or any of that, that doesn't define me now. That's a hard place. And it takes a long time for us to get there. That's why forgiveness is so important uh, and things like that. The minute he comes to that point, guess who comes walking into Egypt, right? (laughs) His past. The people who have wounded him the most, they were ready to kill him. And they decided to profit off of him, turn him into a slave, at which point he is then thrown into prison for years. And now here he is. He's worked his way up. And the question is, what is Joseph going to do when his past comes back to his present? Now, that question takes chapters to answer, and we don't have time to look at all of it. Let me summarize really the rest of Genesis for you, okay? In Genesis 42, what we're looking at today, I'm stealing this from Vodi Bauckham, by the way, his book on Joseph. This is the chapter of examination, right? You, you can understand why Joseph, when he sees his brothers, he doesn't say, hey, hey guys, look, finally we get to meet again. Ha ha, you were wrong, you know, joke's on you. Rather, he, he's careful. He's careful, why, he doesn't want to be hurt again, right? That's natural. Remember, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Reconciliation is not the same thing as trust. So here's Joseph, and he knows, he knows who these guys are. So he begins with a series of tests, which are a means of examination. That's what we'll look at a little this evening. Then is the issue of transformation, right? It's when the boys come back and and Joseph does more more stuff with them. That leads to revelation. Remember that that Joseph says, look, I'm your brother. Yeah, I haven't killed you yet, right? I could have, right? You know, so so he, he reveals himself. That leads to reunion, chapters 47 to 48, and finally, reconciliation. So we're in chapter 42. It will not be until chapter 49 there's any type of reconciliation. Okay? So when it comes to relationships that are broken, right, and for whatever may be the cause of it, um, you cannot just wake up one day and say, you know what, I realized I made a mistake. You think we can act like nothing happened? You can't do that because something did happen. They did happen. And, and what did happen has to be addressed. And the story of Joseph is actually really helpful in getting us down that path. Okay? So let's start in verses 1 to 5. Uh, the famine hits, uh, hits Egypt. We've we got to move quickly. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came. 
for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Remember, there was seven years of plenty and then followed by seven years of famine. And now we're, we're nearing the end of that. And uh, the famine in Egypt is affecting the Middle East. So, so the boys are up in Canaan and they realize we, we ain't got nothing else to eat. And famine was a serious problem in the ancient world, still is, frankly, to, today. Famine still is, is a problem. We don't think of it because of trade, quite honestly, but, but it remains a, a, a serious problem. By the way, we got rain today. I, I don't know if y'all did uh, praises. We got rain today. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. Um, I, I mentioned this today at the Capitol. Um, we were talking about rain, and, and uh, some, someone said, yeah, we got rain. I think, yeah, I tell you, our soccer field is rough. And they go, yeah. My garden needed it. I'm like, yeah, your need of rain is more important than mine, I guess, right? <laughs> I'm sorry that I was being trivial, right? <laughs> I mean, the fields need it, but uh, your garden and farmland are more important. Um, but what's interesting is, remember, Canaan is supposed to be the land flowing with milk and honey in the story of Moses. Now it's just famine. It's desert. And so uh, they are sent down to uh, Egypt. Now, uh, Jacob sends 10 of his sons. He's got 12. He thinks Joseph is dead, but he's going to hold on to Benjamin. Benjamin is his favorite son. And we've talked about that. That's a terrible thing to do. And it has caused Jacob one problem after another. And, and as we'll see, that's created more, more problems for him. Um, uh, so he sends them. And in verse six, Joseph meets his, his brothers. Okay. We're Removing a little quicker than I normally would. Verse six. Now, Joseph was governor over land. He's vizier. He's second in command over everything. Uh, he was the one who sowed to all the people of the land. Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Now, again, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You've been minding your own business. You've been the boss 10 plus years, right? And, and everyone you meet, for the most part, are Egyptians, You've had to adopt the, the Egyptian identity, right? You were sold into slavery as an Asiatic, to use the Egyptian word, a Canaanite, or a person from Canaan, obviously not Canaanite, but a Hebrew. And you remember that when he is brought up before Pharaoh, he is shaved like an Egyptian, he's dressed like an Egyptian, and he's been in Egypt for so long, he, he uh, uh, talked like an Egyptian, which means he walks like an Egyptian. What, what era was that? 70s? Okay, before my time, right? When I was a kid, I heard that song, and I'm just like a little guy, and I would just walk like an Egyptian. I didn't, I didn't know nothing about the song. Still don't really know much about it, but anyways. Um, so he does all that. Before it was cool, he was walking like an Egyptian, right? And this is why his brothers don't recognize him. To them, he is an Egyptian leader. It would never cross their mind, hey, this may be one of us, right? Because he doesn't look like it. Remember, the Hebrews would grow out their beards, they would speak Hebrew language and all that sort of stuff. This guy, he looks Egyptian. Everything about him is, is Egyptian. And, but Joseph recognizes them. Again, put yourself in his shoes. How would you respond? I'm willing to bet soon you'll be given the opportunity. There's that one person in your life, that one family 
that one building, that one home, that one organization, that one workplace, that something they'll call you. You'll drive by it. You'll bump into them at Kroger. And you will be confronted with the reality that your past you've never addressed has now become your present. And usually we don't handle that well. I was with someone recently who um, I know their story really well, and uh, someone in their life really wounded them. And I mean to their core. And we're talking, and I look behind them, and there is that person. I said, I, 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 don't, I don't mean to bring this up. You need to know so-and-so just walked in the door. And their immediate response was, you're a jokester, you're lying, that's not funny. <laughs> I said, look, I, 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 lo- I love to laugh, I love to make jokes, but I wouldn't laugh about this. I wouldn't joke about this. You need to know this person is a few feet behind you. They just came in and still just would not believe it. I said, okay, you know so-and-so who's here? Yeah, they're walking by them right now. And sure enough, they turn around, and there they are, and immediately their countenance changed. And we were in a public sort of setting, you know, and then I said, look, I need you to be on your best behavior. Um, uh, I, I, I know you're wounded, and this person, when you think of their name, let alone when they're in your presence, this person has not seen this person for years. They purposely have exiled themselves or try to exile this person from them. And all of a sudden, their worlds came colliding. I've told this story before when I was a professor. One of my first semesters, I had to fail someone for uh, plagiarism. And uh, where I taught, I taught all over the state of Kentucky, but, but where I taught was like the closest cohort to where I lived, uh, naturally. And we went, we shopped at the same Walmart in uh, Lee Itchfield. And I'm with my family, of course, we, we had tiny little guys. I mean, Evangel's probably an infant. And um, um, I saw them from a distance. I said, babe, I'll be back in a few minutes. And I was gone, right? Usually it's like, you're, honey, I, I can't stay in the decor aisle much longer. I'm gonna go to electronics. I'm gonna find a book to read, right? No, this is, I gotta go. I got to go because I, I had just failed this person within like the last week, right? And they had sent me emails. My, my answer was always, you need to talk to the school, right? That was it. You failed, okay? And so I just took off because I don't want to address that. I don't want to be confronted with that. Here's Joseph confronted with the people who, first of all, thought he, life would be better if he were dead. And then they came with the idea, it would be better if we profit off him and everyone else, including us, assumed he was dead. We'll never have to go to Egypt, now, in this story, you'll notice they bowed down before him. That's the fulfillment of his original dreams. Joseph picks up on this. And we, the reader, been been waiting for this moment, right? But they are clueless about this. So he accuses them, all right? Now, what he's not doing is, is spreading false rumors. He is examining them. He has a series of tests. And, and now, the reason he would accuse them of spies would make complete sense. In Egypt, your most vulnerable place is to the east towards Canaan. This is why if you study ancient Egypt, they're trying to take over Canaan because the more land you control, right? And in one sense, you've, you've protected your, your weakest points, right? And so, um, uh, so here they are coming from Canaan. Well, of course they are. They're wanting to invade. Here we are in a moment of weakness. Here they are in a moment of need. They're just going to attack us and take all of our food. That makes sense that he would make that accusation. But you'll notice he has a series of tests. And for the sake of time, we'll, we'll, we'll look at these tests. There's a lot here, but we'll, I, I just want to get through a lot of this. The first test in verses 12 to 17, he wants to know, is Benjamin alive? Right here, here he's, he's going to ask, okay, um, is this everybody? 
right? And, 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 uh, and, and they say, look, there's 12 of us. There's us 10, one is at home, and they'll say one is no more. They don't recognize that they're talking to the guy they think is dead. Remember, the original goal was for Joseph to die, and they assume the Egyptians will do their bidding for them. Right? These are not good guys, not good guys at all. What I find funny is, is they, they will defend themselves that they're not spies. And, and the reader is like, okay, but that's not the worst thing you actually are, right? <laughs> okay, I mean, you you're, you're essentially uh, have conspired to murder. You, you, you've engaged in slave trade. You've lied. You're an adulterer. Uh, you are a murderer. Remember, they wiped out an entire village, right? That was Simeon and Levi, I believe. And Levi becomes the father of priest. So, so, I mean, these are bad dudes. And they're worried about someone thinking they're a spy, Right? Uh, when in reality, they, they have a whole lot. Well, the second test is given in verse 18 to 20. And the test is, will one of you stay here while the rest of you retrieve your other brother? Now, pause and think about what Joseph is asking them to do. Will one of you volunteer to be thrown into a pit so that the rest of you can come to Egypt? Be fed, be happy. Will one of you volunteer to be thrown into a pit? Remember, the text has already described prison as a pit. The same sort of pit that Joseph was thrown into by his brothers. Joseph is saying, I should throw all of you into a pit, your spies. Will one of you volunteer to go into the pit to save your brother? And the answer, no. They don't come out and say it, but in the story, Joseph actually has to um, hold one of his brothers hostage, if you will, right? He arrests one of them. I believe it's Simeon. He go ahead and right in front of them, it says, right in front of their faces, he, he what's that? Bound yeah, yeah, bound him, right? He put the cuffs on him, put him in the cop car, in, 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 the, in the paddy wagon. Is that, is that the old phrase? Paddy wagon? Um, so... All, all, all that sort of stuff. Well, what's interesting is the, the brothers eventually confessed to the crime they had committed, okay? So go down to verse 21. Uh, then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the stress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is, this, the Bible is so well written. When we get the story originally, we get Joseph is in a pit and then he's sold in slavery. We are not told the story from Joseph's perspective. We're told from the brother's perspective because they're debating. What are we going to do with this loser? We've got to get rid of him. So we get it from there. We don't get Joseph. But the brothers later here in chapter 42 tell us the story from Joseph's perspective. He begged us. He pleaded with us. He cried to us. And yet we heartlessly ignored his cries and shipped him off to Egypt. I mean, that's awful. That is awful. And they confess it. This is the sort of thing Joseph is looking for. Have they acknowledged the wrong that they've done? Are they willing to admit it? Because without that, there is no reconciliation. Because that's our goal in the end. You will never reconcile with someone until both parties bring to the table not their hurts, but their wrongs first. It's easy to bring your hurts to the table. That's easy. We do that even when people don't ask us for it. Half of us do it on social media every single day, right? That's easy because we want sympathy from the other side. The hard part of reconciliation is when we come to the table, not with our demands, 
but with our sins. This is what I've done to lead to this situation. I'm guilty. You may not be 100% responsible for a broken relationship, but you are 100% responsible for the role you played in it. So you may have just done 5% of the breaking, but you're 100% responsible for that 5%. And that's what Joseph wants to hear. And here they are saying, look, we, we, he begged. And we were just callous. We were so angry, so jealous. We were callous to it. And so we got rid of him. Uh, you can go down to verse um, 22. Reuben answered, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? Notice they called it a sin. You did not listen. Remember, the word listen in Genesis takes you all the way back to the garden because the idea is what voice you're going to listen to, the voice of the serpent like Eve or the voice of God. Here they're saying that you didn't listen to the voice of Joseph. You listened to the voice of the serpent. Uh, we, We just wouldn't listen to him. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. Uh, that's one way to see if your interpreter is actually interpreting accurately, right? I mean, you ever, you ever wonder that? Like, I've, I've, I did missionary work, had an interpreter, and I thought, I hope he's getting this right, right? <laughs> Come to find out, the, the dude was sharp. I mean, sharp. At one point, we just stepped away and said, you're in charge, right? Because, you know, someone had a question, which we were in Africa, had a question, and for like the next 10 minutes, he did all the talking. Afterwards, like, so what was that about? Well, he had questions about Islam. Okay, good, moving on, right? <laughs> you, you handle it, good. I'm so glad you, you are here. Um, but uh, um, now I want you to notice this verse 24 notice Joseph's response he turned away from them and wept and he returned to them and spoke to them now it's not that I cried I come back he has to excuse himself use whatever excuse he had to right he's an important guy but he had to he had, this stirs up emotions right often we think about when, when, you're, when you're seeking reconciliation those emotions that have sat for so long will not return. They do return often with vengeance. You can oppress those for only for so long. Here, Joseph's made it to, to like his second test, then it comes out. And what triggers it is their confession. We sinned against our brother. And his response is an emotional one, as it should be, right? Because Joseph has been wronged. And you, you just can't act like, oh, it's no big deal. You know what, you know, Turns out everything worked out okay. So that's fine. No, no, this is real hurt. This is real hurt. Here are people who his older brother is supposed to be protective of him. Ended up betraying him. That's real pain. And chances are you've, you've had to confront some of those emotions. Maybe it was an old, old, old boyfriend, girlfriend, or an old friend, or a coworker, or a boss, or someone, right? Um, uh, we're, we're recording, so I, I, won't, I won't give any details. But um, I had someone on my resume uh, before, before we came here, that misrepresented me. They were referenced. And um, I found out, um, found out for someone who knew them really well. Um, and what they were doing, they were answering for me. I'm trying to be very vague. And I remember that really bothered me. Um, the process for us to come here was about a three-year process. And it was all very, very frustrating. And the first year, year and a half, the reason nothing worked out, one of the reasons that, and I was too young, according to everybody, um, is because I had someone sabotaging everything, right? And here was someone that I looked up to and trusted, right? That really bothered me, really bothered me. And I remember getting angry. And that's why God gave me a good wife. Um, so um, um, now, 
Why does he pick Simeon to arrest? Well, I mean, we can just guess Simeon is, is the Otis. We should also know Simeon is probably the most violent of the brothers. Uh, Genesis 34, uh, he and Levi, as we said, slaughter the Shechemites. And in chapter 49, the, the prophecy Jacob has over uh, Simeon and Levi, Jacob calls them weapons of violence are their swords. Um, that doesn't seem like a, a compliment. Anyway, so, so uh, Simeon is arrested. Joseph sends them all back, right? They're heading back, and what they discover is they, they brought money to buy the grain. And so they're on their way back, and they discover the money's been put back in their bags. It's a setup. It is, it, that's, that's the way they interpret it, right? That's the way they interpret it. As, 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 well, not a setup. They interpret it as we've done wrong, right? This is part of the tests. Are these people serious about sin? And what are they going to do? Because, see, the temptation is, will you abandon your brother? You see it? One is in the pit. You got your money. And it's Simeon. Yeah, yeah. The guy that's insta- you know, instigated it all, right? So remember the story of Joseph is, we got our money. We don't care what happens to our brother. Now it's, you got your money and your grain. Don't worry about your brother. Anything changed? You see the examination part? Right. Uh, this is why the story is just so elongated, but so, so, so helpful. Verse 28, they, when they discover it, their hearts fail within them. Uh, this is a description of utter despair. They know they're going to be accused of robbery. They've been accused of spying. Now they're going to be accused of, of robbing from Pharaoh. Um, and, and to them, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong in this journey. And you notice they blame God. What is this that God has done to us? That is the depth of the human condition. It is always someone else's fault. And when we can't find anyone to blame, blame him. You're guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. We all do it. All of us do it. I've I've shared stories with you you when you're doing a hard funeral and among the words coming out. In fact, this week, this week talking to someone um, and, 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 and they told me the story and they said, why would God allow this? Now, that's funny. Someone, someone has had good news, and because you don't like their good news, you perceive it as a wound from God. That's not healthy. It's not healthy at all, but that's what we do. It's never my fault. I'm never responsible. These are guys who sought the murder of their own brother, and they have the audacity to blame God for something bad happening. Right? They just said, this is God's reckoning, And to a certain extent, that's true. In fact, (laughs) Joseph has every right to hang them all. And so... Yeah, I mean, that that is is sort of the way we think about it. So whenever you say, God is doing this to me, one of the things that bothers me is it's a very arrogant theology. Like, I am so important, I'm the only thing on God's mind right now, right? And, and I am an aunt, and he's a kid with a magnifying glass. You are not that important. God is an educator. Yes, yes. Now, now I'm being a bit tongue-in-cheek with you're not important. Um, I mean, you're important enough. He sends his son, all that sort of stuff. But, but we think we are so important, God is obligated to bless me. He's obligated to give me an easy life. And that's not the case. Read the story of Joseph. Joseph done nothing wrong, and he suffers for the majority of his life. And God brings that to his glorious good. But Joseph, we are not told, ever stops and thinks, you know what, this is God's fault. 
But rather he paused and said, what is God teaching me? And that, that took him into Egypt. That took him to Potiphar's house where he's falsely accused of, of, of rape, basically. And, and now he is prepared to save generations of people because of his dreams that God gave him. These guys have the opposite reaction. Um, so they, they, they return home, recount everything to Jacob. That starts in verse 29. Um, they again claim to be honest men, verse 31, uh, even though they just admitted to killing their brother, right? I mean, that's just... Um, uh, and, and then they explain to Jacob, uh, one of their, 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 their brothers, Simeon, has to stay in custody until they can bring Benjamin back. And Jacob don't like this at all. One of the things we get here is that Jacob doesn't trust his sons. So they thought, so this is what happens with sin. What we think is sin is a shortcut to things in life. Tolkien has a great line. He's, uh, I think this is in Lord of the Rings, um, not the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. He, he says that um, shortcuts lead to long delays. Sin is a shortcut. That leads to a long delay, you think. So they're thinking, okay, if we get rid of Joseph, our problem goes away, right? And what, what they found is they got rid of Joseph. It just magnified the problems because it never crossed their mind. Dad loves Joseph and he is gonna be hurt by it, <laughs> right, right? You pause and think the things you do, you, you rarely, if ever, think about other people. Rarely, if ever. Why? Because I'm entitled, Right? I, I should be able to get away with whatever I want to do because I've been wronged or, 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 or you know, this is my right, whatever it is. It never crossed their mind. This may ruin the relationship with their father. Not to mention the guilty conscience and the shame that comes with what they did. We get that already. Here's Reuben saying, guys, I warned you about this. You hear the guilt? Hear the shame? And so they come back and says, oh, by the way, dad, we had to leave Simeon behind because they, they think we're spies. We've got to prove we're not spies by bringing Benjamin. He says, no. Keep them. Yeah, yeah. Jacob is threatening to do to them what they did to Joseph. Jacob has a responsibility to his sons like the older brothers had to Joseph. I mean, the Bible's such a good, this is so, so, so good. Well, um, they all discovered their, their sacks are full in verse 35. Uh, one, an unnamed one discovered it earlier, but now they all realize it. And, and Jacob is just tore up. Let's, let's go down to verse, verse 36. I'm, we usually read it all, but we're doing a lot of skipping. Verse 36, Jacob, their father said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Notice the plural. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. Now you would take Benjamin, all that is coming against me. So you notice he says that when I trust you guys, I lose a child. There's some truth to it. There's some truth to it. They did just wipe out a village of Shechemites. They have a habit of people disappearing. All right. Now you're going to take Benjamin, my youngest. Uh, verse 37, then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for my brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. It's a similar phrase he had regarding Joseph when he thought that Joseph was dead. My gray hairs, which means you will not give me a happy death. That's strange language to us, but, but life was hard and you get a happy death when you are surrounded by a loving family. By the way, this is still true. Surrounded by a loving family and your legacy lives on in them. He says, what you're, what you're gonna do is you're gonna ruin all of that. 
Abraham died with a happy death. You, you can go back and, and read all that. But Reuben offers his own sons. That's, that's a strange world to us. I get it. But, but, but this is a way of saying, I am committed that I will lay my life down to preserve your joy, your needs. Give him some, some credit for that. Okay, so, so what, what do we do, do, do with this? Well, I really just have two points. I and mean, we, we, we've, we've talked a little bit about the process of reconciliation. So there's that. Let me just highlight just two things and, and we'll, we'll call it a night. The first thing I want us to see from this text we've talked about is that past sins have concurrent ramifications. Often we convince ourselves that if I put this person out of my life, if I move to a different town, if I change churches, if I switch jobs, if I start a new relationship, if I end this marriage, my problems will go away. Because we associate places and people with our problems rather than our own hearts. And what we discover here is that is not the case. That your past sins will have concurrent ramifications. And these brothers are having to address that. Joseph is having to address that. And so the sooner when there is tension in a relationship, whenever sin is peaking up, the sooner you address that, the better your life will be. It is when you ignore that tension and there is a break and then you add a lot of nonsense to your life, unraveling that becomes virtually impossible. So you have a husband and a wife, they divorce because they have irreconcilable, okay? So, so what you have is a mess now. And then you're going to throw in stepmoms and stepdads and second and third spouses and in-laws come with all of that. And, and non-biological kids coming in, new biological kids coming in, and some favor others. And then there's the drama through all of that. This happened when we were at work or you were with that person and I've accused you of this. And what about these text messages? Why are you reading on my phone? And, right? All of that. And after two decades of that, that's a mess. And then eventually they come to a breaking point and, they, and then they'll come and say to, to a counselor, a therapist, pastor, a friend or something like that and say, fix this. And they're like, fix it, fix it. Like right now? You ignored the tension when it was there and you kept ignoring it and you kept ignoring it until the cancer has metastasized, you're on the brink of death. And you think we can just solve it overnight, you can't. Past sins have current, concurrent ramifications. Um, secondly, we need to examine ourselves. Uh, this is a biblical principle to Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the tests? It's interesting is we humans are really good at examining others more than ourselves. That's fun, isn't it? Are you guilty of people watching? I, I know you do, because you and I are, I mean, because it's where we get our jokes. Um, uh, I love it. Love it. Okay? I mean, um, go to a good Walmart. Sit at the Subway or the Starbucks, whatever they have in there, while your wife is out looking at colors or whatever she's doing, and just watch people. That's, that's a good afternoon, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so what you're saying is whenever husbands are saying what to their wives, that's really what we're doing, right? You know, um, 
Uh, there's, there's a trend online. Um, um, I, think, I think, remind me where we're at because I'm going to try to bring it back, but I will forget. Very male of me. One of the uh, viral things right now is a wife discovered her husband thinks about the Roman Empire like every day. Have you, have you all seen any of this? You know? And so the trend is all these wives and girlfriends going up to their significant others say, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? I've not put any of this online, but my joke is I'm a pastor who, who studies the New Testament. I think about it multiple times every day. Like every time I open up the New Testament, Roman world, right? You know? uh, of course, a lot of men have come out to try to explain this phenomenon. Uh, of course, I would say, ladies, what would be a stereotypical thing, stereotype? Would it be Victorian England love stories, right? Is, is that it? Anyways, so, so um, um, uh, men are consumed with thoughts all the time. Yeah, and why we think about this. But what happens is often our wives will come up and they can tell something's on our mind. They'll say things, you know, what are you thinking about or what's on your mind? So my dad, and what do we say? Nothing. Because usually what is on our mind is worthless, right? Let's, let's, let's be honest, okay? Worthless. Or um, we have to think through them. And that's the way we learn to articulate them, address them and all that, right? This is part of the burden of, of masculinity is, is we carry burdens which require a lot of thought to think through all that sort of stuff. So usually what we say is nothing. And how do you ladies respond to that? He just won't open up to me, right? Well, just give him time, okay? Just, just five minutes. He just got home from work, right? And he's still trying to figure out if he's gonna have a job in the morning. Jeez, anyways. So what were we talking about? I completely lost it. Um, um, but let me get back. I had a connection and I just lost it. Um, oh, here it is, is, is when we people watch. That was my initial illustration. It's funny that we judge ourselves by other people. And usually what we find is if I could denigrate them, I automatically lift myself up. But if I cannot denigrate them, it stirs up jealousy and envy because I think I'm more entitled to that than they are. Wealth, perfect spouse, great home, whatever it is. It's not fair that they have that life, and I don't. You know this because we do it on social media almost every day. There's that guy from high school, married the perfect girl. He's got the perfect kids, the perfect job, but his life is easy. I was a better, I know he's not even a Christian and I am. Why haven't I gotten that life? See what happened? It's easy to examine others. We never examine ourselves, honestly. Yeah. If men are worrying you out, what are you going to do with horses? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. That's the guy that seemed to answer your statement. Yeah. These guys are all being successful. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the Bible tells us that the process of becoming like Christ requires examination. Now, we know this. If you want to be a good doctor, or you go to your doctor. Do you want to discover he became a doctor because of extra credit? No. You want to know he went to a good school, he studied hard, got good grades, and he went through the necessary processes, all which followed examinations. Do you meet these standards before you go on? We got to do the same thing. We got to do the same thing. I heard a comedian joke that the difference between men and women when it comes to mirror is that women live in front of a mirror. Actually, by the way, this is free. Studies show, ladies, the longer you look in the mirror, the uh, lower your, your esteem for yourself goes. So be like more of like a man here, right? Why? Because you, you see more flaws the longer you stare at yourself. 
the joke the comedian made was men look at it um, as confirmation. Yep, that's what I look like, right? And that's it, right? That is it, okay? Like, I, I'm a cowlick American, right? So I'm a victim. And so there is no point of me even trying to, I, I've reached a point, I'm almost 40, all right? I, I'm done. I'm just done trying, okay? So you see me wear hats all the time. There are two hats, or three hats I will wear. And what I'm doing is I'm combing my hair. It doesn't matter how much water I use, and I don't like using chemicals. So to, it will not do anything to my cowlicks except a hat. In the wintertime, it'll be a toboggan, a sock cap. Right? That's all I can do. A mirror ain't fixing that. I already know what it looks like. Ding. It's probably right now doing it. Just ding, right? So I'm a cowlick American. Don't judge me. And don't think you're better than me because you don't have cowlicks. Right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I'll be uh, in the book aisle trying to hide. Anyways, um, what we have to do is learn to examine ourselves. Not by the judgment of others, and not by our perceived judgment of others, but by the word of God. Am I loving my neighbor? Am I loving my God? And I pursuing his glory in Christ? Am I regularly seeking to forgive and to seek reconciliation with those that I've wounded and hurt? Is my life centered around Jesus? Um, and we need to face that when we examine ourselves, we will discover we have a past we have to confront. And we have to be honest to say, am I confronting that past? Whoever that person is in your life, if they were to walk in here, you may consider changing churches. You need to address that person in your past. You need to address that person in your past. Because you don't want to be in a situation Joseph and his brothers found themselves in. The sooner, the better. Okay, I know Danny's not here. Yeah, Don. Okay.